the Tom Sumner Program. Old Fashioned Radio for a New Generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, John. You know that. Yay, Tom! <laughs> I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Not an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, oh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Lucky team. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry. What's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. The Tom Sumner Program is made possible with support from Seth David Radwell, a recent guest on the program and author of American Schism, How the Two Enlightenments Hold a Secret to Healing Our Nation, released in July 2021. As Publishers Weekly writes in its recent glowing review of American Schism, business executive Radwell's epic debut examines the historical influences that have led to what he sees as the collapse of politics in the United States. Seth Radwell makes the case that the current chasm between the American right and left can be traced back to the 18th century's Age of Enlightenment and the basic tenets of liberty, equality, and reason. American Schism provides a historical perspective that can help bridge current-day divides. American Schism by Seth David Radwell is available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and wherever books are sold. For more information, go to americanschismbook.com. Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody, as we roll into Hour 2 of our three-hour tour known as the Tom Sumner Program. We have coming up in a few minutes uh, a conversation with the uh, co-author of a book called The Great Upheaval, Higher Education's Past, Present, and Uncertain Future by uh, Distinguished Scholar of Higher Education at NYU, Arthur Levine will be joining us in just a few minutes but whenever we have a few extra minutes uh, I always try to squeeze in a little local music so we have some uh, music here from The Root Doctor a piece called The Message from his CD called Joy and uh, and then we'll we'll talk with Arthur Levine coming up a little later in the show we're going to talk with um, actor Brad Benedict from uh, Tyler Perry, uh, from his uh, BET primetime soap opera, The Oval. Uh, Brad plays uh, Secret Service agent Kyle Flint, and we'll be talking to him in the third half of our three-hour tour coming up in uh, just a little bit. But first, The Root Doctor.
looking out my window Looking way down on the streets below Looking out my bedroom window, y'all Way down on the streets below The message from a baby Telling me she don't want to live it with me no more She sent me an email on my computer Text on my telephone Anyway, she can get in touch with me to tell me she wasn't coming home. No, looking out my window, I'm looking down on the streets below.
beauty out. A text on my telephone Any way that she could get a touch of me Tell me she wasn't coming home Looking out my window I'm looking way down on the streets below Welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner Program. My guest this hour is a distinguished scholar of higher education at New York University and the co-author of a new book called The Great Upheaval, Higher Education's Past, Present, and Uncertain Future. He is Arthur Levine, and he joins me by phone. Good morning, Arthur, and welcome to the show. Good morning. It's a pleasure to be with you. When... Now, I was looking at, uh, I was looking through the book, and it says that uh, the United States is in the midst of a profound transformation, and comparable to the Industrial Revolution. You call the book the Great Upheaval. Is this one greater than past upheavals? Have there been past upheavals in higher education? Well, the Industrial Revolution. Oh, I'm sorry. The Industrial Revolution is indeed a great example during that period. What happened in higher education was we had small religious colleges, for the most part, that taught a curriculum that originated in the Middle Ages. And those became, during the Industrial Revolution, were transformed into research universities, technical institutes, community colleges, and a host of other kinds of institutions of higher education. The landscape was unrecognizable by the end of uh, that revolution, and that's what's going on now. And it's it's interesting. I, my show is based in Flint, Michigan, and there was a time in our history a hundred years or so ago when area high schools were almost like... Um, prep schools for industry uh, you know there were there were technical training programs and you know stuff designed to teach students how to become part of manufacturing and i'm sure that was true in other manufacturing cities like detroit and pittsburgh and so on um so that was kind of on the heels of this this big change in the industrial revolution but before that historically uh, universities or colleges were considered um, 
institutions of, of higher learning. It was some place that, that people went to get new information and whatever the latest information was or, or to get um, a, a higher level of learning. Um, did that ever change? No, we told, I think education has always been roughly the same, which is when education is successful, it does two things. It has one foot in the library. Let's call it the library, but what we're really talking about it's human heritage, our past. It has one foot in the street, which is careers, life, the real world. When the world changes quickly, higher education maintains its foot in the library but it loses traction with the street. Ah, and what happens during analogy. these periods is it's readjustment. We're essentially trying to make college practical again. We're trying to bring it into line with the world that it exists. God, one of the things that's always amazed me was uh, when Harvard started in 1636. So here's this institution, okay? They got nothing. And they're all sitting around and they say, what do we need? Oh, I know. Let's create a college. I can never understood why they do that. <laughs> they finally set this thing up. And what are they teaching? Latin, Greek, Hebrew, Syriac. And I'm thinking, I don't know of any Native American tribe that spoke Greek. Why are they doing this? <laughs> and the answer is, it was vocational training. They wanted ministers. And ministers needed to know those languages. College, regardless of when, the Middle Ages, Harvard, the present, always has to be practical at the same time that it's enmeshed in the intellectual tradition and history of our era. More about the great upheaval with author Arthur Levine, straight ahead. Everybody's doing a brand new dance now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination, a COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine, and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can, Keep wearing masks correctly and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19 and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. 
The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call the X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. Where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums. Where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses. And where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County. Where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at Michigan.org. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. I know of a place where you never get harmed, a magical place with magical charms, indoors, indoors, indoors. Take it away. Hi, this is Deb Cherry, Genesee County Treasurer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Radio Show. More about the great upheaval with author Arthur Levine, straight ahead. You know, I have this this joke that I occasionally tell, or or this take that, that I have occasionally, that PhDs aren't what they used to be. And in the subtitle of your book, Higher Education's Past, Present, and Uncertain Future, what do you mean when you say uncertain future? Is is there something that's that's um, declining in higher education? No, it's what's expanding. And let me see if I can explain it. There's an organization in California called Coursera. Coursera is an online learning platform. It offers courses, higher education. Now, its enrollment is 78 million students. During the pandemic, when colleges and universities lost 10% of their enrollments, Coursera increased by 25 million students. That's more than the entire enrollment of higher education. And here's what Coursera does. It offers courses from the top universities in America. 
What it does in addition is offer courses from the top corporations around the world. They have courses from Google, Pricewaterhouse, from Goldman Sachs, from Alibaba, from L'Oreal. They have courses from the top cultural institutions, Museum of Modern Art, Metropolitan Museum of Art, Yad Vashem, you name it, they have it. And let me give an example. They offered an IT program, which offered Google certification and its completion. It's a five-month program. Students have to study about 10 hours a week to complete the program. It costs $59 a month for those five months. And you can quit at any time. Now, if you think about this, if I were to take the same program at a university <laughs> or my local community college, it would take longer, it would cost more, and very few institutions have the prestige of Google in terms of certification in IT. That's the challenge. That's what the new landscape is going to look like in addition to traditional higher ed. Now, I was surprised, Arthur, that that um, that colleges only dropped off uh, enrollment by 10% during the pandemic. I would have thought that number would have been a lot higher. And, yes, yeah, I mean, it's just uh, that's what the numbers showed because they took the courses online. Were colleges, better, were colleges better equipped to adapt to online learning um, when the pandemic started the way that public schools, for example, weren't? They had to kind of reinvent themselves on the fly. And no, they weren't. As a matter of fact, they entered a world in which the requirements for success, meaning online education, they had virtually no experience in. So what happened was in the space of a week, reforms that would have taken years and years and years to occur were mandated and had to occur. They were forced into the future. And and when you refer to in the title of uh, of the book, Arthur, the great upheaval, higher education's past, present, and uncertain future, um, is is that really what you're talking about? Is that colleges have to basically reinvent themselves to be um, relevant? Yeah, I at a minimum, what colleges need to do. First is recognize, spoke to a number of presidents during the pandemic, and I asked them what they wanted, where they planned to go, and they treated the pandemic as if it were a hurricane or a flood. And so as soon as it was done, they do the repairs, and then they go back to where they were before. The reality is the world changed. They can never go back to 2019. And they need to realize they can't re-embrace the past. They have to look to the future. The second thing they need to realize is that they're not exceptional. There are a lot of colleges that think, oh, is this going to happen to other people? No, it's going to happen to every college in the country. A third thing they need to know is 
They're not in the course business. They're not in the credit business. What they are, they're not in the campus business. What they are is in the education business. What's the best kind of education they can provide? Next, they need to reestablish their ties with the street. And last, they need to protect whatever it is about themselves that makes them unique. Why should I be willing to attend a college, a face-to-face college, when I can get what I can get from Coursera? What is it that makes it special? I met with the, the trustee of the college. The guy told me, you know, we're losing enrollment. And they were losing it significantly. And he said, so we keep throwing up new programs. We go after new populations. We add new vocational programs. We add new this. We add new that. Um, we built a new building. We've, And when you look at it, all they've done is thrown a series of activities at the wall. There's nothing distinctive about this college. Every other college in America has done exactly the same things. Why? Why should one attend your college? Now, aren't there aren't there certain colleges that are known to be excellent for certain kinds of pursuit? Now, the the technical institutes come to mind: um, MIT and, yeah. and Kettering University in Flint, and and there are you know many others around the country. Um, those come to mind, but. But aren't there a number of colleges uh, throughout the country that are especially um, good for certain kinds of uh, pursuits and, and, gather, and, and getting certain kinds of credentialing? Absolutely. I, we have in excess of 4,000 colleges. There are liberal arts colleges that offer an extraordinary liberal arts education with an extraordinary faculty, all of whom I couldn't get online. There are places like MIT that offer an amazing technical education. There are places like the University of Michigan that offers a very broad, comprehensive program from undergraduate through PhD. There are all kinds of institutions that are special. Demonstrate it. I'm not gonna pay that kind of money unless I can see what it is that's special about you. And also, more than uh, telling me about it, give me the data that proves it. How much do you think colleges really will change? I think that um, some won't have the choice. They're going to close. And that's particularly true of colleges in the Midwest, the Middle Atlantic states, and New England. The problem in those areas is that we have too many colleges and not enough college-age students. Some are going to close because they simply can't survive the times and the numbers and the demographics. Some are going to be able to adapt to the changes. Their residential colleges will see some number... Uh, continue on because people are going to want a residential college education. We're going to see some research universities continue on and they'll adapt as well because we need a a core event, a core of researchers in a knowledge economy. All the other colleges, 
community colleges, regional institutions, which aren't distinctive, which don't have a value added that distinguishes them from other institutions, are really at risk of being disrupted and being replaced by the Coursera's of the world. Arthur, is it simply technology that's pushing um, the need for change for American universities, or are there social issues as well? Yeah. I think technology, let's say, let me go back and answer it the other way and say that demography is, cause, is going to cause changes in colleges and universities. The populations are relocating. So we talked about um, the Midwest, New England, and the Middle Atlantic states. And we talked about, but the outcome in the West and the South is that they're going to have too many students, and they're going to have to think about innovative ways of offering higher ed. But we're also finding the population's aging, and we're find competition for the money that would have gone to colleges being relocated or reallocated to senior programs. We also find the population's changing so that we have the groups that have been least higher education been least successful with uh, people of color, people of poor, poor people, lower income people have, they're the fastest growing populations in the country. And by 2045, whites are going to be a minority of Americans. The end result is that those groups that are now being born and coming into the country at larger rates are unable to afford the price of college to a greater extent than even the public could. So, yes, that's going to change things. The Arthur, economy is going to change things. Arthur, as I was growing up, I, you know, I remember being told uh, throughout my days in school that you needed a college education to get a, a good job. And then that started morphing, and, and it became you needed a college education to get any job. When we're talking about higher education, it isn't necessarily just college. It could be trade schools and, and uh, special uh, skill certification programs, can't it? Yeah, you're exactly right. What happened during the recession is that we lost millions and millions of jobs. Now, a larger number came back after. However, the millions and millions of jobs were lost to people who had a high school diploma or less. Those never came back. Only 50,000 of the millions came back. Instead, what happened was the new jobs 95% required some post-secondary education. The reality is everybody doesn't need to go to college. But if you want a decent job in America, a job where you can support yourself and a family, post-secondary education is essential. And you talk about one of the things that that is potentially... Uh, uh, going to occur as higher education is transitioning in uh, this uncertain future is income levels. And you, you just brushed up against it a moment ago. Um, 
But hasn't that always been the case? Wasn't it always the haves that got into the good schools and the have-nots that that had to to struggle, try to come up with loans or scholarships or work their way through community college? Yep, that's exactly the way it's been in the past. And we could get away with it. Once we could even get away with high school dropouts because there were jobs for them in industries like the auto industry. Those things don't exist anymore. We can't afford to have the kind of system we've had in the past. Is that because of automation? Everybody. Automation's a part of it. Uh, automation's a big part of it. It's certainly taking away jobs. And so is um, job loss in general. We're going to have to do major upskilling and reskilling in a way we've never done before throughout all of our lives. And and do you think that the need for that will um, will cause uh, colleges to adjust to what the educational needs will be going forward as they have done in the past? I think the big adjustments going to have to be from policymakers. In the How so? 20th century, we made high school compulsory. In the 21st century, we're going to have to make the first two years of college available to all people, no matter how we distribute them immediately or throughout their lives. It's going to be, have to be made available simply because the labor market demands it and the future of the country depends upon it. So that's going to happen. For colleges and universities, they're going to find the greatest demand is not for degree programs, but for short-term, just-in-time programs. Yeah, what do, you, programs. What, do you mean, what do you mean by just-in-time programs? Are, there, are those, mm-hmm. uh, you know, short, uh, uh, maybe a year to, to get certified for a, a particular skill set? Could be, could be less. It could be me going to some institution saying, look, I need to learn Spanish this month. It could be me going and saying, I need to learn the latest computer language. I need whatever I need, and I need it now. And we're going to see lots of short programs. And I wonder and we're going to if, see programs that don't award degrees but certificates. And I wonder about that. You know, people who got, uh, you know, computer science degrees in the 80s, if any of that information is relevant now, <laughs> and you know what I mean, because yeah, technology, <laughs> yeah, because technology is is changing so much. I mean, you know, we have to get a new phone every six months. It seems like, yeah, and that's the reality. It is changing that quickly. It's speeding up, and the fact is, if you want to stay current in almost any field that you're in. You need continuing education, and you need it annually, and that's a change. Is is uh, is it likely that the the four the four year degree, the traditional residential college experience, will eventually fade out of existence? I don't know if it's likely. It's certainly possible. What we're going to see in the shorter run is a mixed economy, which includes 
degree programs and non-degree programs, short programs and four-year programs, and everything in between by a bunch of different providers, each giving a different kind of education, and students having a buffet before them in which they can choose whatever dishes they want to eat. And, and what about trying to figure out what that is? How, how will people know uh, what program is, is best for them? I, I remember a time when aptitude testing was part of that process. How do we do that now? How do we do that in this new emerging normal? And that's really the huge problem ahead of us, which is what education matters, what education is most important, which providers are best. We have to do a much better job in this new environment of counseling people, counseling families, counseling kids, letting them understand the alternatives that are available to them and the consequences. It's like buying a a prescription The prescription tells you how often to take it. It tells you what the dangers of doing it inappropriately are. We have to do the same thing. We need consumer reports in a way that will serve the country and serve our population. As I remember 20 or 30 years ago in Michigan, the auto industry started going through huge changes and, and just unbelievable job loss and I remember the governor at the time this was probably about 20 years ago I guess the governor at the time said well the new big thing is health care and we're going to offer programs that will help people re-educate themselves and get into health care and I couldn't help thinking what about people who don't care about health care that are squeamish or you know just don't it's just not a good fit for them what are they supposed to do I guess part of that is um, if what I really want to do is drive trucks, I really want to drive trucks. The truth is that in 29 states, the leading occupation is truck driving. Those jobs aren't going to exist anymore. It doesn't matter how much I want to drive trucks. If there are no jobs, I can't be employed driving trucks. So that We all have to do it. We've had to do it historically. If you like making buggy whips, well, we don't have buggies anymore. You better find something else to do. (laughs) Look what happened to bow ties. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, I wonder if that's not going to happen to ties in general now. Well, in, in most quarters, I think it already has, Arthur. Well, this is this I know. is. I'm giving away my ties now as presents. <laughs> That's a great idea. <laughs> the name of the book is "The Great Upheaval: Higher Education's Past, Present, and Uncertain Future." My guest, Arthur Levine, is one of the co-authors, along with uh, Scott Van Pelt. And um, Arthur, how did how did you come to write this book with uh, with Scott? Uh, Scott had been working with me for a while as a research associate, and we both got really involved in the book. And what got us involved was exactly the questions you've just been asking, which is, what's going to happen? Do 
there was talk about higher education being disrupted, being changed, profoundly different, and there was talk about it remaining the same. The president of Harvard said recently that Harvard would be able to adapt to these changes and basically maintain its existing mission. Another professor on the campus, a guy named Clayton Christensen, said, no, 40% of all colleges are going to be closed by 2030-something. They both can't be right. They're both educated people. They're both knowledgeable people. And what made me write this was that a knowledge economy, higher education is more important than ever before. We needed to know and not guess at what was going to be happening. And that was the reason for doing this study. Uh, Arthur, this is a a very engaging conversation, and unfortunately our time is uh, just about up, but I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about what we've been talking about. Obviously, the book, The Great Upheaval, is a great place to start. But Arthur, where can people find out more about you and your work, past, present, and future? Do you have a website? Actually, I'm on Facebook, and I'm on uh, LinkedIn, and I'm on uh, Twitter. Um, Just Google me. I'm there. (laughs) Well, fair enough, and I'm glad you were here. Thank you so much, uh, Arthur. Keep up the good work. Thank you so much. I really appreciated talking to you. Oh, thank you. Well, take care. Bye-bye. You too. Bye. That was uh, Arthur Levine. He is... uh, a distinguished scholar of higher education at New York University's Steinhardt Institute for Higher Education Policy, a senior fellow and president emeritus of the Woodrow Wilson National Fellowship Foundation, and president emeritus of Columbia University's Teachers College. He is the co-author of a book called The Great Upheaval, Higher Education's Past, Present, and Uncertain Future. We'll have more of the Tom Sumner program straight. Hello there, citizens. Darkwing Duck here. And every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck out. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination a COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine, and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can, keep wearing masks correctly, and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19, and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. The Tom Sumner Program has hosted live candidate forums for local, state, and national offices at bars, restaurants, coffee shops, and colleges. Armchair Politics has gone to Lansing, Frankenmuth, Birch Run, and Hell. 
Hell, Michigan, that is. We've done shows all the way to the Mighty Mac and back to the bricks. We've done remotes from a baseball stadium in Lansing, a grocery store opening in Flint, and from a moving train. We'd like you to tell us where to go next. You can write to us at TomSumnerProgram.com, call us at 810-339-8255, or contact us on Facebook. This is your chance to tell the Tom Sumner Program where to go. Say, objection. I object. I object to that, Your Honor. Oh, hi, Mom. What's up? Dana, what are you doing? Oh, you know, just um, Attorney General stuff. Listen, I have a legal question. What is it, Mom? I just got a call from the water company. Apparently, your father has not been paying the bill. I guess they're going to turn the water off because we owe more than a thousand dollars now. Can you believe it? Actually, I can't. So listen, we just have to send them $200 in edible arrangements gift cards and that will keep the water on. Now, here's the legal question. What is the website for edible arrangements? Mom, it's an imposter scam. Imposter scam. Is that .com or .edu? No, the call was a scam. Scammers will pretend to be a government agency or a utility company or someone else you might do business with. A big red flag is if they tell you that you can pay them using gift cards. So when in doubt, ask for the information to be sent to you in writing. And never give a caller or someone you don't know your personal information or your money. If you do suspect an imposter scam, Report it to my office at mi.gov slash agcomplaints. Okay, all right. And Dana, where do I file a complaint that my daughter hasn't visited in over a month? Does your office have a website for that? Okay, Mom, I'm hanging up now. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. Thank you. For my first encore, I'd like to turn to a type of song. <laughs> the type of song that people like myself find ourselves subjected to with increasing frequency as time goes on, and that is the college alma mater. You find yourself at a reunion of old grads and old undergrads. And uh, somebody will start croaking out one of these things, and everyone will gradually join in, each in his own key, of course, until the place is just soggy with nostalgia. Well, a typical such song might be called Bright College Days and might go like this. Carefree days that fly To thee we sing With our glasses raised on high <laughs> Let's drink a toast As each of us recalls 
ivy-covered professors in ivy-covered halls. Turn on the spigot, pour the beer and swig it, and Gaudiama seek it a tour. <laughs> Here's two parties we tossed, to the games that we lost, we shall claim that we won them someday. To the girls, young and sweet, to the spacious back seat of our roommate's beat-up Chevrolet. <laughs> to the beer and Benzedrine, to the way that the dean tried so hard to be pals with us all. To excuses we fibbed, to the papers we cribbed, from the genius who lived down the hall. To the tables down at Maury's, wherever that may be. <laughs> Let us drink a toast to all we love the best. We will sleep through all the lectures and cheat on the exams, and we'll pass and be forgotten with the rest. Soon we'll be out amid the cold world's strife. Soon we'll be sliding down the razor blade of life. Ready? <laughs> but as we go our sordid separate ways, we shall ne'er forget thee, thou golden college days. Hearts full of youth, hearts full of truth, six parts gin to one part vermouth. <laughs> I played football for Temple University, and it's the truth, see? Don't keep asking me, did you really play? Yes, I really played. At one time, I had a beautiful body. I weighed, uh, I weighed 192 pounds, and they made me a fullback. Now, before you start tuning up, let me get my story finished. <laughs> no, the truth of the matter is that uh, it didn't take much to play for t Temple at the time that I was playing, because we had lost 27 games in a row. And uh, we played against real weak teams. I mean, teams like uh, Muhlenberg, Lafayette, um, what's it, Gettysburg, yeah. Get, they all beat us. They all killed us. Especially Hofstra. Hofstra beat us 900 or nothing. In their street clothes, man. They wiped us out. You know? Vassar wouldn't even play us. That's how bad we were, man. Get out of here. We don't even want you on our schedule. So I'm going to give you some insight as to what goes on in the loser's locker room. We're going to play against Hofstra, which is a really terrible school. They killed us every year, boy. And when you play for a team like Temple, you got nothing to do except pace up and down in the locker room. And you say to yourself, boy, I sure do hope I don't get hurt. <laughs> I almost made a tackle last week. I must have been crazy out there or something. Nobody else is trying out there. I don't know why I got to be the one all the time. I play on the second team, which is actually the nut squad. Now, these are guys that can play, but they're afraid. They don't want to go out there, so they do nutty things. Like they put the helmet on sideways, looking out through the ear hole. <laughs> guys got on scuba diving suits, no shoe, and an ice skate, you know, walking around. <laughs> second team is very quiet, because they're going to go out, scared to death. That's what they are. Catholics on the squad always seem to have something special going, because they're over in the corner. Domino's father, please, Domino's but I figure if it works for him, yeah, me too, Father. He's a friend of mine. He told me how to do this. Here, please accept me. And we're pacing up and down. First team's getting last rights. And we're warming. 
the coach is drawing trick plays on the blackboard because he has no personnel whatsoever and he knows he's got to work with something that'll trick him, you know. All right, you guys, listen up. Uh, when they come out of the huddle, line up backwards. <laughs> and just let them run right over you and then we'll raise the flag and everything while you're singing the national anthem, all right? We'll get pity somewhere, I'll tell you that. Then comes the athletic director. Says, I'd like to talk to the boys. What? I'd like to talk to the boys. Okay. May I have your attention, please, fellas? This is uh, the athletic director, Mr. Ernie Cassell. It's the man that's responsible for giving most of you the scholarships. <laughs> He'd like to talk to you, Mr. Cassell. Thank you very much, Coach Macris. Well, boys, here we are again. We're going to have another fine football game. Gonna go out and play against Hofstra, because you already know that. You know, they beat us last year 900 to nothing. The year before that, they beat us 900 to nothing. I was over in their locker room, had a chance to look at some of their players, and Christ, they're bigger than they were last year. <laughs> Yes, yes, I know, I know. <laughs> Fellas, I looked out in the stands, we only have 12 people out there. <laughs> and this is homecoming. <laughs> Just want to say a few words to you. This is our first game on television. We want to keep this television contract going because this is the only way we can make some money to buy a little scuba diving suits and uh, snowshoes and ice skates for all the weird old squads here. <laughs> so we're gonna say to you, please, remember that you're on TV. By that I mean, don't worry about winning the game as much as we want you to be concerned with the fact that while you're out there on the field, we're gonna ask you, please, do not touch certain areas of your bodies while you're out there on a football field. Because if you're out there digging and scratching, the people at home are gonna turn you right off and we're gonna lose the contract. So please, do not touch certain areas of your bodies while you're out there on the field. Now we're gonna pass out these affidavits and ask you to sign them, saying that you will not touch certain areas of your bodies while you're out there on a football field, all right? So we signed them and we went out, you know, and I'm with the second team and <laughs> First team's got the ninth time for last right, Hofstra came out of the locker room. I had never seen guys so big before in my life. They had just brought 11 guys with them. Smallest guy on the squad was 6'1", 490 pounds. He was a halfback. Ran 109-1, had long teeth hanging out of his mouth. Every one of them just had one eye in the center of the forehead. <laughs> the coach was beating them out onto the field with a ball and chain, hitting them smack in the back of the head. Get out of here! Come <laughs> on, Igor! What's <laughs> good, Igor? <laughs> First team said, oh God, don't look at him. If you don't look at him, you won't get scared. Second team went crazy. Oh, look, 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 look. Guys are ripping their clothes off. I can't play naked! Oh! Throw some meat at him. Maybe they'll eat that. Get out of here. Oh, yeah. I thought first thing we did, we want to play. There's a fire desk. 11 Hofstra guys still standing. Oh. 11 gentlemen. I 
Run the girl. Coach said, all right, get the nut squad, naked or not, get out there. <laughs> We're carrying them off, and as we're carrying them off, I swear I heard one temple guy on the ground say, can we get up now? No, you move, I'll punch you right in the mouth. So healthy, get out of here. We carry them off, and the coach said, all right, get out there, second team, let's go. <laughs> we got a quarterback that's 2-1. All right, run the kamikaze play on one, all right, kamikaze. Cosby up the middle, the whole team off the field. Break! The quarterback goes up and says, shift, one, two, ping, gives me the ball. I take one step and I look and there's a hole. And I had never seen a hole. <laughs> Playing for Temple. And I said, God, a hole. <laughs> I turned to the people in the stand, look at this, a hole, you see this? I said, yeah, hurry up, run. I said, wait a minute, it may be a mirage. <laughs> you can't tell. I said, well, I better get moving. I'll never forget it. There was a big hole with a defensive man on the ground. I planted one foot, stepped over him. When I did, he stood up and hit me. <laughs> and the pain was tremendous. And I threw down the ball and I said, oh. I've been hit in the... You'd better not touch. Any areas of your bodies while you're on the football here. So I grabbed my head. And I said, oh, yes, what's the matter? I said, I can't take nothing until they bring a commercial on, all right? Thank you and good night. This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program. Hi, I'm Alexander Zonjic. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner.